0: Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Before we start our time today, I want to tell you that God is good. Because in spite of what you're going through today, in spite of the doctor's report, in spite of uh, the way the children are acting, in spite of our economy, in spite of the things that are going on in the White House, I want to tell you that God is still on the throne and that he is still good. I am so honored and privileged to be in this sacred space this morning, giving honor to God who is man, he's my everything. And I'm grateful for every chance I get to share from the heart of the Father, but today I'm honored to be here. I give honor to Pastor Bob, uh, such an amazing father in the faith, a father in the city, uh, for allowing me to share this platform this morning. My beautiful wife who is not here with me this morning, I, mean, I love her. We've been married, man, for an amazing 14 years, and I'm so excited uh, to, to, for the love of my life and for my three amazing children. But God is so good. I'm going to take a moment this, today to talk about uh, this idea of what it means to bless. And this entire time, worship, Said an atmosphere of tone as we created a space of honor for these amazing graduates that have persevered <laughs> the struggle, the stress, anxiety, uh, but yet they still finished. And today I honor you for finishing, for finishing strong. And I bless you for that this morning. You know, when we think about the term bless, sometimes it's really hard for us to bless others it's hard for us to find ourselves in a position where we're able to extend blessing to others. And when it comes to blessing, there are layers. The first part of blessing means to bless, we have to bless God first. And to bless really means to speak well of. So when it comes to blessing God, how well do you speak of the character or the nature of God? He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord. We understand what it means to, to bless God in season and in out of season. Not just when things are going great or things are going well, but even when things are difficult in our lives, we got to bless God at all times. As we move past this idea of what it means to bless God, I believe it's essential for us to create a space for us to bless our families. And I know you're, you might be saying, well, you don't know my family, Pastor. I, I know I don't. But we have to make sure that we are blessing our families. That we're leaving a legacy of what it means to, to bless and not curse. To instill in them uh, this responsibility to uphold this idea of what it means to actually bless. I love family. I remember growing up and um, I grew up in a Christian home. And my mom every morning, um, and probably some of you could uh, attest to this, my mom was a praying woman. She's a praying woman. And there were times where she would come in in the middle of the night in our bedroom and anoint our heads with oil. It was interesting. And we had to understand, even in this idea of blessing, what that actually meant. And she would come in every single night and lay her hands on us. Anoint us with oil. I'm grateful for that. The legacy of a prayer, the a legacy of blessing. I remember taking my daughters on their first date. My daughters are, are young, uh, 11 and, and 6. I remember taking them out on their first date. It was a daddy daughter date, man. We had such a great time. I'm trying to create this legacy of, of blessing. With my son, who's he's an adult, of creating this space of, of blessing him. Why? Because I, I, I want from generation to generation to pass down a legacy of blessing. You know, parents, it's okay to give your kids money sometimes. It's okay to give to your children. The Bible teaches us that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And we have to create spaces of honor to bless our families. Are you creating a space of blessing in your family? We understand that we, we have to bless God. We bless our families. You know, the Bible, the Bible cautions us out of James chapter 3 verse 10. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. He says, my brothers, these things ought not be so. First Peter uh, 3 and 9, it says, do not repay evil for evil, or curse for curse, but on the contrary, blessed knowing that this is what you are called so that you may receive a blessing. God tells Abraham that I'm going to bless you to make you a blessing to many. So we are blessed to be a blessing to many. We have to understand the reason why we are blessed. Even in The first one, we're blessed so that we can be a blessing to many. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 13, it sums up this idea. He says, I will save you that you may become a blessing. God's people are blessed so that we can bless others. So he pours out his grace on us so we can now have enough to give to others. I remember um, my wife and I, we got engaged. We we took a trip to, to Baltimore. And on the trip it was about an hour, hour and a half ride. We spent time uh, creating a guest list, a wedding guest list. It was just something to do to pass the time. And as we're creating this guest list, as we're driving to Baltimore, um, we have people who we want to come to be a part of the ceremony and, and the reception. I want to tell you that you know uh, weddings are expensive. Receptions are expensive. And I'm, like, I'm sitting like, wait, who's going to pay for all this food? And as we're creating this list, we have a, a list of people who we want there, maybe some people that we haven't talked to in a while, so they, they get dismissed from the list. But I want to tell you the idea of that is based on a performance system. And a lot of times when it comes to blessing, we have this performance-based system in our, in our, in, in our psyche that we don't bless people who, don't, who are not deemed blessable. And granted, granted, I mean, unless I live in a culture, I mean, I've been raised in church and I understand church culture. I'm a church boy, through and through. And there are people that we look at that are in authority. Our pastor, our bishop, the apostle, we bless them. But then we go home and curse out our, our, our neighbor. We don't love our wives or our husbands. The one on the side of the road, we don't, we don't bless. I want to tell you that God is no respecter of person. When it comes to the kingdom of God, everybody is significant to God. So there shouldn't be this inner checklist of people who, who are deemed blessable and people who, ah, I shouldn't bless them because of what they did. Have we not forgotten that it was the grace of God that saved us? We're reminded that in Ephesians chapter 2 as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, For by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, when it comes to blessing, we have to position ourselves to see people the same way that God sees them, not based on performance. Here's the reality we live our lives typically based on facts. And I want to give you this quote here. If you're taking notes, facts are what I appear to see in the natural, but truth is the way things appear through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that for you one more time. Facts are what I appear to see in the natural, but truth is the way things appear through the lens or the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And sure, the facts could be that people don't deserve to be blessed. That could be the facts. But what is the truth? How do I see them in the eyes of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite books in the Bible, or favorite passages, is uh, "The Sermon on the Mount," probably one of the greatest sermons ever recorded. We look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter three, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter four, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And uh, he overcomes temptation by using the weapon that's been deposited in him, the word of God. Later on in Matthew chapter four, the gospel, Jesus begins to teach and preach the kingdom. This new way of living is a kingdom way. And in Matthew chapter five, we see this beautiful uh, articulate sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would begin his sermon uh, with what we deem to be attitudes. How we should be in all of our attitudes. (laughs) That's all it is. And he begins every phrase with this word, blessed. Blessed from that context means to be happy or fortunate. He talks about the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, but then when you get down to about 13 and 16, he introduces this circle of influence where we get this term, salt and light. It's to demonstrate impact to people uh, around the world. You see, light is meant to shine and also give direction. So when we choose to bless, we are directing the course of the lives of others. I want to say that again because, just in case you missed it. When we choose to bless, we are directing the course of the lives of others. That's why it's so important for us to bless and not curse. Luke's gospel picks the same theme up in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I want to read Luke's account as he begins to open it and unpack this idea of relating to people when it comes to blessing. So we, we understand contextually that we ought to bless God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We have to bless our family, friends, community. But then Jesus doesn't leave out this one group of people. So we're going to pick up in the text. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. I just want to pause right there. He says, whoever hits you on the cheek, give them the other one too to hit. Now, we're in Philly. And I don't know about you, but I grew up not under this mantra, this idea. That if somebody hits you on your cheek, you give them the other one. To hit, hit that one too. But the idea that he's talking about in the text, Jesus is referring back to the law of retaliation. You find that in the book of Leviticus and Exodus. And he's talking about the motive of your heart, the intent of your heart about retaliating. He says, don't live your life retaliating bad for bad. He says, no, no, bless those who curse you. Do good to them who who persecute you. I'm going to keep reading he says, whoever hits you in the cheek, offer him the other also. in And whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. I want to stop there. I want to go back to verse 28. He says, to bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. What happens when we are wronged? What happens when people do things to us and we're wronged? Our first response typically isn't to bless them. Our first response typically isn't to, to do good to them or to pray for them. But Jesus, He's teaching this new and living way. He's, he's preaching the kingdom. And for us to understand, this kingdom way, we have to submit to the words of Jesus. You see, we are part of a kingdom and we have a king. Jesus is our king. And as we submit to the words of Christ, to the teachings of Christ, we look more and more like Jesus every day. Jesus said himself, to bless those who curse you. He says to pray for those who persecute you. We should do good to those who wrong us. Our desire should not be to keep score, but to love and forgive, just like Jesus did. Will you, will you think about a time where you, where you actually did the deed? Where you did the wrong? Think about a moment in time, and not to bring about guilt, because the the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But think about a moment in time where you actually did the deed, you did the wrong. How did did Jesus respond to you? How How did Jesus treat you when you did the wrong? You committed the sin. You did it intentionally. How did Jesus respond to you? Was His grace sufficient for you? Was His love abounding? Did He clean you up and and place, place you back in the place that you were? So when it comes to following the words of Jesus, We have to bless those who curse us. Do good to those who persecute us. Here's the funny thing. People, I hear folks talk all the time about uh, the supernatural. And and I love, I love diving into the pool of the supernatural. And sometimes we limit the supernatural to, to signs and miracles and wonders. But I want to tell you, it's, It's a supernatural thing where you can bless somebody who curses you. It's a supernatural thing where you can bless people who do things that are wrong towards you, even intentionally, but yet you still choose to bless them. Why? Because I have a king and there's a kingdom and I live under this new idea of what it means to be a kingdom citizen. And I choose to bless and not curse Let's go to Luke chapter 9. I want to look at this breakdown in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to find ourselves uh, probably around the 51st verse, but I want to to talk a little bit about what goes on in this this beautiful chapter, this beautiful sequence of events. Verse 1 through 6, uh, he calls the twelve together disciples. He gives them power and authority over all demons to heal their diseases. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing, miraculous signs. The disciples will return back around verse 9 and 10 uh, to give a report, but Jesus himself is still in this mode of teaching. I call it coaching. He's coaching them. You see, when they come back, uh, Jesus had many followers. And Jesus in this space, he's like, man, I want to I do something for the people that have been gathered around, uh, follow me for days, I want to bless them. And the way Jesus chooses to bless in this moment is to give them food. He looks at his disciples and says, hey guys, uh, these folks have been following us for, for, for days, they're hungry, there's about 5,000 not including women and children. Some theologians believe it could be upwards of about 12,000 people at this moment. And he looks in the eyes of his disciples who had just came back from doing kingdom, blessing, healing, praying for others. And he said, guys, what do you think we should do? He's teaching them now. He's still in coaching mode. And they say we should send them away. But Jesus is his idea that we need to bless them. We need to do something tangible to meet a felt need. Here's a need that we have to meet. Let's bless them. So what does Jesus do? He takes some bread and some fish. He breaks it. He lifts it up to heaven and blesses it. And the multitudes were fed. This is what I believe one of the first fish fries that you've ever seen in the Bible. And Jesus does a a miracle because he chooses to bless. Around verse 18, you see this encounter with uh, Jesus and Peter. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? They say, hey, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets, some say you're Elijah. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him, he says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but that came directly from my Father who is in heaven. He begins to change his name. His name was Simon. He changed his name to Peter, which means your rock, your small rock. But then he says, Upon this rock, he's speaking of himself now, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Later on in the same passage, we see this this story of the transfiguration where Jesus goes to this mountain to pray. And he takes his three closest companions, Peter, James, and John, to this mountain. And the Bible is is really articulate and says they were overwhelmed with sleep. They went to a prayer meeting with Jesus and they, they fell asleep. And as they begin to wake up, they see Jesus, but he's not by himself. They see Moses and they see Elisha. And their their clothing is is white and is shining with glory. The glory of the Lord is there. And Peter says, wait, it is not good for us to be here should we build three tents for, for you. And here's the beauty of this text in verse 35. It says, then a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my son, my chosen one. He says, listen to him. And when the voice has spoken, Jesus was found alone. This represents uh, Jesus, Moses, Elisha, the prophet and the law. But the voice of Jesus, Jesus will be the fulfillment of, of them both. He came to fulfill what was spoken about him. So now, this is, this is where it gets interesting. God said from heaven, he said, here's my son, listen to him. Whatever he says do, I want you to do. Now, what does he say to do? We saw that when he began to preach the Sermon on the Mount. He said, to bless and not curse. So whatever he says do, I want you to do. Now, listen to this. Let's go to Luke nine fifty-one. I want to read this with you. And so, when the days were approaching of his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, John, I'm sorry, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, what do you want us to do? command fire, come down from heaven and consume them. I want to pause right there. These disciples spent years walking with Jesus, years doing ministry with Jesus. They go ahead of him to prepare the way for him to come into town, and people rejected Jesus. Their response was, Jesus, do you want us to call fire from heaven and burn people? They they just witnessed the miracle of Jesus blessing people with food. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. He says to bless those who curse you, bless those who persecute you. But their response was, Jesus, I think it would be a great idea for us to call fire from heaven and burn the people who don't want to hear you, who don't want to fall under alignment with you. When have you ever heard Jesus speak like that? Never. Jesus said to bless and don't curse. Bless and don't curse. Verse 55, then he turned to them and rebuked them and said, listen to what he says to them. He says, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of or Who is leading you? Because certainly it's not me. Certainly you're you're not being led by the spirit of God. So what spirit is leading you in this moment? For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It's the next page over, so you don't have to go too far. And I'm going to read from a different translation. I don't know what translation they put up now, but I want you to hear these words out of Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, after this, uh, the Lord Jesus formed 35 teams among the other disciples. Each team had two disciples, 70 in all. He commissioned them to go ahead of him in every town he was about to visit. He released them with these instructions. Now, why is this significant? Because when we look back in chapter 9, the transfiguration, Uh, You heard the voice of heaven, God speaking. He says, this is my son. I need you to listen to him. So now Jesus gives his instructions to the 70 that he sends out. He says, the harvest is huge, but there is not enough harvesters to bring it in. As you go with the owner of the harvest to send out many more workers into the harvest field. He says, now off you go. I'm sending you out even though you feel as vulnerable as lambs going into a pack of wolves. You don't need to take anything with you. Trusting God alone. If, if, if you're watching right now, I want you to type into the chat, trusting God alone, trusting God alone. He says, and don't get distracted from my purpose by anyone you might meet along the way. Listen closely to the instruction that he gives In verse 5, he says, once you enter the house, speak to the people there and say, God's blessing and peace be upon this house. You cannot withhold something that you didn't originate. Jesus says that when you go into the house, every house that you go into, release a blessing. Release, release peace. Why is that, why is that important? You realize Jesus didn't say uh, when you go to the house, if they look like you, to bless them. He, he didn't say if, if, um, if, if, if they're wealthy, bless them. He says every house that you go into, you got one job. Your job is to release the blessing of the Lord. And when we blessed, it doesn't have, it doesn't discriminate. The old, the young, children, white, black, age, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what neighborhood, what class of people they are. He says, I need you to do this one thing. Bless and do not Later on in this passage in Luke chapter 10, he tells them to go bless. He tells them to to have a meal with them, fellowship with them, meet their felt needs. And then he says, when they ask the question, what's going on here? You let them know the kingdom of heaven has showed up. And as the disciples begin to come back, and they're excited about what has transpired because they're going to these places, and they're blessing, they're seeing the power of God move in the space because they chose to bless and not curse. Jesus, Jesus says this phrase. He says, guys, while you were out there, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And some may believe that he's referring to uh, in, in times past, in the beginning where he saw Lucifer. No, but he's not talking about that. He says right now, when you begin to position yourselves to bless, it changes the spiritual climate of every space that you enter into. All because you chose to bless and not curse. So you mean to tell me But if I make a decision to bless, that the spiritual climate of my city will change. Yes. If if I make a decision to bless in my home, the climate in my home will change. Yes. If I make a decision to bless my wife, my, my, my husband, my kids, do you mean to tell me that the climate, the spiritual climate will begin to change in my space? yes? All because you chose to bless and not curse. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. The grip that he had over a place, it fell because you chose to bless and not curse. I'm talking about blessing. The power of the blessing. The power to release blessing everywhere you go, every street, every house. When you choose to bless, you are partnering with the Spirit of God to bring about transformation in the lives of many. What did the father say? Here's my son, listen to him. And when we listen to him, the the word really speaks of actively engaging. It's not just a listen where oh, I heard that, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. No, when he uses the word listen, he says, I want you to actively engage and respond. So what happens when we bless. blessed. I'm going to go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I think I want to read verse 58 to to 60. Let me get there here. Acts chapter 7 verse 58. Here's a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. He was filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with wisdom. And The beauty of his life was that he chose to bless and not curse, and what it did for him was it changed it to directory of a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, and I want to read this these two verses to you. It says, "When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him." I'm talking about Stephen. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, "Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Why is why is this story so significant? I believe it paints a picture of what happens when you're blessed and don't curse. Here you have this young this young man who's now stoned to death because of his faith. Because of what he spoke out. And everyone in the crowd is cheering. It on, I mean, you talk about persecution, and we we get upset when people talk about us. But here's a man who's actually being persecuted, and he's being stoned, and it's not these pebbles, these little rocks. No, these are boulders that they're taking and hurling at Stephen, and even in the midst of of persecution, in the midst of being rejected, in the midst of now, in in the space that he's living in, he has the opportunity to say something, to do something. But he chooses to bless and not curse. He says, Father, forgive them." Who who was in the space and heard the blessing that came out of the mouth of this young deacon? Saul. Saul was in the space. And I want to take some liberty as as, as we look at this really closely. Saul was in the space and received this blessing from this young deacon who I believe now, the blessing changed the course of a Saul's life to be open to the Holy Spirit, to be able to convert his heart. You see, when we choose to bless and not curse, we change the course of people's lives. And I believe this young man aided with the Holy Spirit to change the course of the life of Saul. Let me give you this last scripture out of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm about to land this plane in a minute. It says, so then while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. Not only being helpful, but also doing which promotes their spiritual well-being and especially be a blessing to those of the household of faith. You know, many studies were conducted um, on this one passage of Scripture. It says to do good to all people. If, if, you're, if you're watching, taking notes, I want you to write down the word all. Type it in a chat, type in all. I want to tell you what the word all really means. And after study upon study and theologians going back and forth on this word all, the word all really means all. He says to do good or to bless all people. I want to share this story with you. Years ago, um, I had a chance to, to sing at a venue and um, and as I was there, uh, um, I felt really compelled to to do something outside of the norm. And as I was walking, as I was walking towards the venue, there was a there was a young man sitting on the side of the road. And this is this is a true story. This isn't a parable. This is an actual occurrence. He's sitting on the side of this road. As I walk into the venue, I see him, I see him sitting there. We walk into the venue and the Lord tells me, I want you to bless this guy before you, before you leave. As I make my way out of the venue, I ask my manager, I said, hey, what did we get from uh, tonight? CD sales, things, whatever. She gave me a number, I said, listen, I said, uh, I want you to give me that. I'll meet you at the car. So she goes to the car. And as I walk by this guy who's, I sit on the ground with him. And I said, hey, man, what's, what's your story? He begins to tell me that his, his wife died three years ago. He says, my life has just been a mess ever since. You don't understand. I I, I can't do life without her. And my heart began to, to weep for him. I even began to shed tears because my compassion began to be so overwhelming that I wanted to feel what he was feeling in this moment. As we begin to exchange dialogue, I say, "Hey, man, do you mind if I pray for you?" And yes, he doesn't he doesn't look like me. He's different than I am. He's been living on the street for three years. And I lay my hands on this, on this young guy and begin to just pray God's blessing over him. So when I am doing that now, I'm aiding in the hand of the Lord to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to release blessing. I reached into my pocket and I said, man, I know this won't even begin to, to put a dent in what you went through, but we you receive this, this gift, this blessing as a sign that says God loves you? And he began to weep. And as I sat on the concrete with this man, I placed my arm around him and, and I just hugged him. And as we in this time today, you may ask, but how, how do I bless? How, how do I do it? I understand con- contextually, but how do I actually do it? How about you do this? As we see people through the lens of the cross of Jesus, simply ask Jesus the question, how do you see the person or the situation? Jesus, you step, you step back. You're looking at them through the eyes of the cross. I love this term. You become cross-eyed. where well, you see people through the lens of the cross of Jesus, you ask the question, How do you see them, Jesus? And then you quiet yourself in the Lord's presence, and you speak the blessing that you hear from the heart of the Father. And if we all do this together, we will see transformation in our city. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.